Uh, hey guys, welcome to the Continuing the Conversation podcast. Today I'm joined by my co-host, Catherine Riley. How are you doing, Catherine? I am great. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are things in the big Texas? They're pretty good. I've been here for three weeks. I got one more left and then I'll head back for another semester at Wilmore. There you go. There you go. You excited about another semester? I am. I'm very excited. That's a good thing. I hear we are sending Carolyn your way. I know. I'm so pumped for that. It'll be fun. It will I get be to fun. steal her for a few days. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And give her one of your um, Catherine Riley hugs. Which is yes, I do love my big hugs. Yeah, if if you were a lot bigger, football may have been a possibility, but mm-hmm. it's not really. Graduate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Folks, today we are starting this Continuing the Conversation podcast, and you may be asking, what's the point of this? Well, the point is we are shifting to um, primarily doing sermon series that walk through books of the Bible. So we're today, Carolyn just kicked us off with a series on the book of Genesis, Genesis is 50 chapters. Uh, The series is probably going to be about 14 weeks. There's no possible way you can comprehensively cover all 50 chapters in 14 weeks. So what this podcast does is it kind of summarizes uh, some highlights from Carolyn's message today, and then we go into the text that won't be covered uh, to set up the next text that will be covered. So for example, today she just preached over Genesis one in this podcast, we're going to talk about Genesis two and next week she's going to preach on chapter three. So again, it just continues the conversation and and the main focus, the main thrust of this is we want to equip you guys as disciple makers. We want to help people help people become whole through Jesus. We want you to be able to uh, not miss out on the parts of Scripture that we can't necessarily cover on a Sunday morning so that when you're discipling someone, when you're sitting in a coffee shop with someone talking to them through Scripture, you feel equipped for that conversation. So let's just start with some takeaways from today's message. It was an excellent one. If you didn't get to hear it, I encourage you to go back, look it up on YouTube. It is just an excellent message from Carolyn. So, Catherine, what were your big takeaways? I think the first one was the comment Carolyn made at the beginning that we don't read the creation story like a textbook or historical account because that's not what the author was trying to do. Um, We read the creation account as a story of, it's our story with God, um, and it's answering less of the scientific questions of like how everything was created. Um, but the not, it's not answering those questions. It's answering the questions, the spiritual questions of why we were created. Um, and the, the manner of love in which God made us, um, the goodness that he put into us. Um, and sometimes there's a lot more truth that you can find in poetry than you could just find in a textbook. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, Carolyn mentioned that, um, Christopher, did you want to add anything on that? Yeah, um, you know, in in seminary, they kind of drilled down on us that um, science is trying to answer the question of how. Uh, The biblical authors are trying to answer the question of who, who created us. 
in whose image are we created? And so if you, if you want to walk away from the text, having read it well and understood it well, you, you need to be asking questions that are along the line that the biblical author is trying to, to answer. And, and you're right. Uh, he is focusing on um, who created us, the fact that we are created from a loving God. And so that's, that's right on the money. Any other takeaways? Um, the other really big one was the idea that God is not this distant creator that just made everything and walked away, but he is an intimately involved parent, as Carolyn put it. Um, and I have learned that um, there are some images that Carolyn preaches that I think will stick with me. And the one she did today um, on Sabbath and a baby resting on their mother's chest was really impactful for me. The idea that um, God is the kind of parent who we can listen, rest, and attach to the same way that when a baby is delivered from the womb, their entire job is to listen, rest, and attach. That is our mm. role on the Sabbath. That's our relationship with God. He's not distant. He is that kind of parent to us. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's beautiful. And that definitely stuck out to me it was this sense of um, we start from a place of rest. We start from a place of being loved. That's That's the gospel. We don't we don't work to get there. We we start from there. Um, I think another thing that really just grabbed my attention was her statement, um, our identities are written by God. We don't get to write yeah. them. And she said, that's not just good theology, that's good biology. Um, and, and I think it's you can easily take that into questions of like sexual identity, but I think you can also take that into virtually every identity that we try to achieve apart from God. Um, for a lot of us, it's, it's work identity. It's career-based identity for, for others. It's uh, family-based uh, identities, trying to kind of have the perfect family, making sure your kids are in all the programs and that's where they, and it's like, no, 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 no. Our identities were written by God. Um, so, I want to kind of, again, next week, she will preach Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So I want to cover a good bit of Genesis chapter 2 today and just kind of give us some summary. And then after I've, I've summarized a little bit, um, Catherine, you and I can look at some theological implications on it. So uh, chapter 1 is really kind of like a poetic prologue. Chapter 2 seems to zoom in and you see God's intimate care uh, and, and loving creation of, of humankind. Um, it's also interesting, there's no rain. Uh, chapter 2 makes it very clear that it, it hasn't rained yet, which seems to indicate that storms, um, the, particularly the type of storm that will bring the flood along, uh, is, is a byproduct of the fall. Verse 7, God breathes into Adam, um, and that breath gives him life, uh, which is so um, foreshadowing in, in many ways of um, God pouring out his spirit into yeah. humanity. Um, you, you get two trees in the garden that, that have particular names. So, so God creates a garden. He takes Adam from outside the garden, puts him in it to work the garden. 
And then there are two trees with names, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Never, ever, ever, ever say the tree of good and evil. Please <laughs> don't do that. Catherine, don't I'm not do gonna that. do it. There you go. I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. He's pre-accusing me of something I've never done. No, that's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Um, God gives uh, the man an assignment to work the garden, um, which harkens back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where we're given dominion and, and called to subdue the earth. Um, we're given freedom to eat from any of the trees, but we're forbidden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then in verse 18, God declares that, that it's not good for man to be alone. The man, uh, God brings the animals to the man. The man names the animals, which seems to be indicative of the fact that man has been given authority um, and that he's also given great um, uh, a perspective that has not been tainted by sin. And so he's able to name them according to their nature, um, but no suitable help helper is found. Should say that again. No suitable helper is found. Um, <laughs> the man, God, then becomes the first surgeon and puts Adam to sleep. And the when he wakes up, uh, he rejoices at the gift of this woman that God has created from his rib. Uh, and then Scripture tells us that this is why a man leaves and cleaves to his wife, uh, leaves his father and mother, and 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 cleaves to his wife. And then the, the passage ends with Adam and Eve being told that, or excuse me, us being told that Adam and Eve are um, completely themselves and experience no shame, that they're naked and they experience no shame. So let's just jump into some theological implications of that. Catherine, from your perspective, what are the elements here that point um, towards Christ or foreshadow Christ? Well, I think that one thing um, that this passage as a whole has been speaking to me over the last few months is how Adam had God and he had the creatures around him, but God still saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. Hmm. And I think it shows that mosaics values are right when we say that community is essential. And I think that yeah. God makes us for that. And I think... Um, where that leads us to Christ is that he helps repair the relationships that we break in Genesis three, whenever mm. the fall comes and sent enters into creation. Um, it also breaks the relationships that we have with people, with God, with um, creation itself. Um, and when Christ comes, that is the reparation that brings us back to Genesis one and two, the garden. Um, that's what Christ does. So I, I think community is essential I think Jesus is at the center. So I'm going to say that mosaic should not change its core values. Um, <laughs> Cause I think they're pretty spot on with Genesis two. Oh, there you go. So yeah, I, I, I like that in what, in, in what I hear you saying, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but so the first thing that God says is not good is it's not good for man to be alone, but the thing that we discover on the other side of the fall is real relationship seems so difficult um, because 
uh, the shame we absorb, the um, the the brokenness that we bring to relationships, and so so we feel a deep aloneness, a deep isolation mm-hmm. on the other side of the fall. And what I what I hear you saying in in this is that God created us when when we had an unhindered relationship with God we were also able to have an unhindered relationship with each other. Yeah, exactly. I think Genesis one and two kind of gives us the ideal of what God would want for us. Um, mm-hmm. And that, and that includes relationship with each other. Um, I, I think when we, when we want to know what the, what the hope that Christ gives us is Genesis one and two gives us a kind of picture of that. And part of that is God, uh, giving us not just himself and not just uh, creation, but also each other. Yeah, you know, and one of the things I think about is Genesis 1 and 2 are interesting passages in the sense that you're not thinking from a place of redemption. Uh, you're not thinking from a place of sin, fall, and 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 God's redemptive work. So you're asking the question, of, okay, how does this reveal Jesus when I'm not necessarily thinking of him as my redeemer uh, at this point in the narrative, if that makes any sense. And, and for me, when I come at it from that approach, I think about the tree of life. Um, so Jesus says to the woman in John 4 that um, if, if you drank of the water that I give, it will well up into eternal life. Um, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, or maybe that was Mary, but anyway, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter one, it says in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. So the tree of life is really representing or foreshadowing, I think in many ways, who Jesus is as being our source of life. Uh, in in a sense of spiritual fullness of life. I I had a friend of mine recently asked me, he's like, Chris, how do you seem so content? And first of all, I was kind of flattered that he thought that. And and I would say that's true probably more time than not that I'm fairly content. But the point is, is it's Jesus. It It is partaking of his spiritual life that allows me to operate from that place. Um, any, any other thoughts on that from, from your perspective, Catherine? I think I keep going back to the fact that chapters one and two of Genesis are answering the question of who we are and who God is. It's kind of the, the introduction of some of the characters. And, and we know that Jesus is God. Um, as Carolyn said in the sermon, Jesus is the, is the word um, that speaks light um, and so I, I think this, I mean, this is where it all begins. Um, yeah. this is kind of our reference point for the rest of scripture, that's our home good. base. That's good. That, that That's good. And, and, and I think, I think you're hitting on another key point is you want your theology to make it all the way back to Genesis two. Uh, or Genesis one and two, in essence, you you want your theology to go back to what was God's created design, not what is simply His, re, you know, redemptive plan in the midst of 
uh, a fallen world. In, in essence, the kingdom is calling us back to a world of, of God's created design. And that, that's part of why Genesis one and two are so important. Um, let's get to the question of how this chapter reveals the gospel. So, you know, you're sitting, uh, having coffee with someone and you're talking through this text. How, in, in your mind, how does it reveal the gospel, Catherine? Well, I think the gospel is just the good news of King Jesus. Um, hmm. Like sometimes we like to talk about it in terms of like people sinned and then Jesus came and fixed it. Um, but really, whenever you see the word gospel used in the New Testament, um, it's usually talking about the kingdom of God um, and it's talking about the King Jesus um, and it's telling his story. Yep. It's the good it's the good news of the king and the kingdom. And then mm -hmm. this is the start. We see what the like we said, that ideal is. We see the start of the kingdom um, and we learn who the king is and what he's like. Um, and we don't know that his name is Jesus yet. It's going to take a few thousand years to get to that part. Um, <laughs> but this but this is the start. It's the beginning. Um, and I think we learn about God's character through it. Um, we see his his creativity, the way that he, you know, makes order out of chaos and, you know, darkness becomes light. And so we, we know who God is because of it. And that mm -hmm. is in and of itself, the good news. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I think, I think if I were sitting, you know, having coffee and talking through this text with somebody, the uh, first thing I would say is that the gospel says that God is our provider, not, not we, we're not our provider. In essence, God takes Adam puts him in the garden. He's already planted all these trees. He gives them, uh, uh, gives Adam uh, permission to eat from any of them, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so God is providing a place. Um, he's providing a purpose for Adam's life. Adam doesn't have to aimlessly wonder and discover what his purpose is. Um, and, and God is also, um, providing for the deep desires of Adam's heart. You know, in essence, Adam's, it's not good for man to be alone. God brings all the animals to him. Uh, no suitable helper is found. And then God um, creates this beautiful creature uh, of, a, of a woman, and it immediately evokes a song out of out of Adam, you know, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman for she was taken from man. So uh, I think, I think God is our provider for our physical needs, but he's also the provider for the deep soul needs of our heart. Um, the, the other um, aspect of the gospel that I think this chapter reveals is that Jesus is Lord. And because when you get to 16 and 17, verse 16 and 17, God has told them, you know, you're free to eat from any tree, any of the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you shall surely die. Jesus is Lord. He gets to tell me no. Um, he gets to tell me where the boundary lines are. And and I, I think, and and he he tells me that not because he wants to micromanage my life, but because he wants to protect me from death. He's like, look, yeah. don't do that. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die, kind of thing. Um, any other takeaways from you know 
uh, in terms of how this reveals the gospel? I don't know that I guess I would necessarily say this is the gospel, um, but I guess more like the biblical, the biblical narrative, like this, the story of the whole scripture. Genesis one is where we see God kind of give people um, relationship, identity and vocation. And he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. And we still see that all the way into the new Testament, whenever Jesus tells his disciples to go make more disciples. And that's one of those threads that you can kind of follow throughout scripture. Um, And so I would say, keep an eye out as we keep going through Genesis, because he repeats it um, with Noah, I think, um, and says something similar with Abraham to go be a blessing to all nations. And it's just this idea that God's hope, uh, his, the thing that he wants is fruitfulness and multiplication. Um, It's, it's goodness and growth. And that starts at creation. It goes on into new creation. Um, so Adam, Adam and Eve get to kick off to kick it off, and then um, that's kind of the the job that we inherit. Also, that's good. That's really good. All right. Final question: um, In a broken world, how would you use this passage to help someone become whole through Jesus? So you're you're having a hard com- or a conversation with someone who's going through a hard time. How are you going to use this passage to help them become whole through Jesus? I've already kind of emphasis, emphasized this a lot, I think, but it shows us what wholeness is. It mm. shows us who God is. And then Carolyn had a few lines in her sermon where she kind of talked about this. Um, but if God can create, then he can recreate. Yeah, that's good. If he once spoke light when there was no light before then he can speak light into darkness now he can always create something beautiful out of chaos if he can create everything out of nothing then we can come to him with the parts of our lives that are nothing like genesis 1 and 2 and ask him to create stuff again Um, and because we know his character because we know um, his love and his nearness and his goodness and his power we know that we can trust him with that Man, that's so good. That's so good. If if that's where you are, if you're listening to this and you are just, man, Lord, would you just recreate my life? Um, I'd highly encourage you to go listen to the worship song, Beautiful Things. Uh, that, that song really speaks to God's created design and God's redeeming the, uh, us in that way, bringing, bringing that back. Um, I, I think for me, if if I'm sitting across the table from someone who's going through a difficult time and, and we're discussing this passage or, or maybe not discussing this passage, just, I'm just listening to, to their heart. Something I notice in, in, in our, our culture right now is um, kind of a circumstantial happiness or a circumstantial fulfillment rather than a person-centered fulfillment where um, I, in essence, Adam doesn't go looking all over the world for Eve. He takes a nap. He, He rests in God, and God brings him the deep desires of his heart. And and we live in a fallen world. This was not a fallen world. So I'm, I'm not saying 
you follow Jesus and then suddenly you just get everything you've ever wanted. What I am saying is that God really knows our hearts. And when we entrust our hearts to him, when we rest in him, we allow him to bring the provision into our lives that, that he wants to bring. Uh, again, uh, God, frankly, doesn't get his way all the time because uh, we have real uh, free, you know, freedom of will and, and we can uh, choose to say no to things that God is trying to bring into our lives or, or others can say no. But I, I think I think there is this call to rest in the Lord and, and not uh, lean upon our own understanding. And, and to let him bring things, deep things into our, uh, the deep things of our heart into our lives in his timing. Um, it also, it also, I think I would encourage someone to think more deeply about what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, I think, I think sometimes we think loving God with all our hearts is just, you know, telling him how awesome he is. When the truth is, I, I think loving God with all your heart means that you get honest with him about what's going on in your heart. You know, you you tell him straight up, this is where I'm at. Uh, and that allows him, that allows us to enter into a place of rest because we're not wrestling uh, with that thing. We're, we're giving it over to God. And it also allows God to do the kind of deep end surgery in us that, that, we call sanctification um, mm-hmm. that, that that heals us and restores us. Um, any any other concluding thoughts, uh, Catherine? I don't think so. So, guys, thank y'all for joining us. Um, we will have another podcast next week that will cover uh, the passages between next week's sermon and the week after <laughs> that. And uh, we're just going to stay after this. We encourage you. To, to really ask God to help you be the type of person that helps people become whole through Jesus. So pay attention to the conversations around you. Pay attention to the people uh, that God has, has kind of placed in your life and, and notice where God may be opening doors for you to be uh, a vessel of grace, uh, a, a discipling voice or, or a healing voice and, and see how God will work in and through you. Be blessed. <laughs>